Our second lesson is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at the 12th verse. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So last week, we looked at the first chapter of this epistle, Paul writing to the Christians in Thessalonica, and we were reminded in that meditation on the word that the people of God have been in mission since Christ commissioned the first apostles. And our mission here is articulated as leading people to Christ, and it's the very same work that Paul Uh, Silas and Timothy were doing in Thessalonica. And even though the world has changed so much these last 2,000 years, that essential uh, primary mission of the church remains the same. We do it today using different technologies and different means, but it's the same goal. It's the same reason for being. And today, we're going to be meditating on some of those markers, some of those distinguishing features of the community that Christ has created around this mission. No one else, no other group on planet Earth has been entrusted by Jesus for leading people to Christ, but his people, the ecclesia, those called out of darkness into his marvelous light to be church, to be community. So really, we're not talking about so much our community as we're talking about Christ's community to which we Belong, And so I pray that as Amy read from uh, the psalm, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in God's sight, for he is our rock and our redeemer. When the mission is first and foremost, love and peace, marks of Christian community, have a chance to flourish And likewise, when the mission of the church is moved from first place to second place or forgotten altogether, well, then there can be um, troubled times, schism, heartache, division. When the will of Christ supersedes your individual opinion and my individual opinion, then these gifts of love and peace can abide and grow. But when we leverage ourselves, when we want to win, when we place our opinion above the primary mission of the church, well, then the body of Christ can be sadly divided and torn apart. The church then can become nothing more than an association of not-so-like-minded individuals uh, that's very volatile. Uh, Things can implode and explode at a moment's notice. So we place the mission of the church first and foremost in our community. And in that way, God is able to bless us with his gifts of mutual love 
and the peace that surpasses human understanding. And in this Christian community, did you hear this today? We are told to love and respect those who serve among us, those who labor among us as leaders because of the work they do. This is good news. Um, You don't have to like everything about every pastor. And I already know you don't. (laughs) And we don't have to like pastors everything about every single church member. And we don't. But we're called to love one another. And love covers a multitude of sins. But we are asked, we are taught by God's word and this witness of Paul to esteem those who labor as leaders among us because of the work they do. And and that is a reminder to every pastor that ministry was never intended to be some popularity contest because it's never been about us, it's about Jesus. And if we are to be loved and respected among God's people, let it be because of the faithful work we do, not because anyone thinks we're so cool or because we have some winsome personality or because we've somehow convinced a majority of people to like us. There are already enough congregations in the world today built around the persona, the personality of the pastor instead of Jesus Christ. And we know this here at Faith. Pastors come and pastors go, but Jesus rules his church forever. Jesus is Lord of this church. This church does not belong to Bruce Wilder and never belonged to Russell Lee, and it won't belong to Jerry Watts when he becomes your senior pastor. It belongs to Christ. So if pastors are to be treated kindly and respectfully, then let it be because of the work that we do for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Now, some of you know that I had the privilege of serving on our church body. We call that the board of trustees. And from time to time, I get phone calls from fellow church members, Washington to Florida, you know, New York to California, uh, asking questions, you know, how do we write our constitution now that we belong to this new association? Uh, How do we call a pastor? Uh, What are the mechanisms for finding a pastor and and bringing a pastor to come to our community? And I was always blessed and honored to be in those conversations. But sometimes people would call because they wanted to talk to me thinking somehow I in Albuquerque could solve the problem they had with their pastor. And not once did those phone calls ever have anything to do with, well, he's not preaching the word of God. He's not teaching faithfully. He's not caring for people with home visits or hospital visits, usually it had to do with just differences in personal taste. I'll never forget one woman who called me. She was very upset. She sounded like she was my elder. And I could hear her voice. It was sorrowful. She said, you know, we called our new pastor. And when he came here and interviewed, you know, we flew him here and everything was fine. But then when he came here, Oh, Pastor Bruce, he showed up in a Chevy truck. I don't have to make this up. And she went on to tell me, it's a really big Chevy truck. It's got these really big wheels. The the wheels are bigger than I am. It's got these fog lights, and it's just so embarrassing when he pulls up to the cemetery for a funeral in that big truck. And I said, I know how you feel, sister. I totally support you because... I would be embarrassed if my pastor drove a Chevy truck because any good Lutheran pastor should drive a Ford (laughs) F-150. And I thought she'd laugh, and I said, hello? (laughs) Hello? And and she'd hung up on me. (laughs) 
faith has been served by 14 different pastors since our congregation was founded in 1955. Some of you know pastors going back to the early days at our first location, and then our second location, and then the move that took place here in the mid-70s. Some of you have known almost all the pastors going back to the founding, and all those pastors have had their own unique personalities, their own idiosyncrasies, their own quirks, their own strengths, their own weaknesses. And I include myself because you've known me long enough for over 20 years to know my weaknesses, which are many. I've had the privilege of serving with six of the pastors who've come alongside us in this community of mission and purpose. I'm not going to mention any names this morning, but some of you can figure out who I'm talking about just by what I'm going to say. One of our pastors moved here ahead of his family. They wanted to finish the school year. And he said, I'm going to make up a batch of my best chili. And why don't you leave Kirsten at home? Why don't you just come over to my apartment? We'll have some guy time and I'll feed you some good chili. These people in New Mexico think they've got good chili. Let me fix you some chili. And I went over and, and then I found out we were going to sit and watch NASCAR. I've never been so bored in my life, you know, just around the track. And this guy, I mean, he had a favorite driver. And as soon as that driver made a move, I mean, he's up out of his chair, fist pumping. And I'm like, well, to each his own. I had a conversation with one of our pastors informally. We're talking about music and the music we like. And I said, so what's your favorite band? What's your favorite musician? And he said, well, Ann Murray. Okay, and I asked, well, what's your second favorite musician, hoping for like, you know, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Oh, my second favorite musician, that would be Britney Spears. <laughs> and then we had another pastor, and if you asked him that question, he would say, well, Edward Grieg, of course, the famous Norwegian composer. Why am I telling you these things? Because in five short months, Pastor Carol will no longer be on our staff. A new pastor will join our congregation, our community, our mission as a people. And he or she will be a unique child of God with his or her own unique life story. That pastor may love the country music of Lady Antebellum. That pastor may love listening to the opera works of Giacomo Puccini. He may enjoy solo rock climbing. She may really be into mixed martial arts. Our next pastor may drive a smart car or a Dodge Ram. What matters most, what matters, is that our next pastor serves God faithfully as an underservant of the great servant, Jesus Christ, just as Pastor Carol has done all these years since we set her apart and called her to be a minister of word and sacrament among us. In this community, where there's to be mutual love and the peace that far surpasses understanding, we are called to admonish and encourage one another. And that may seem counterintuitive because for some of you, if there's love and encouragement, well, how can you admonish? Because for some of you, that word admonish, admonishment, It's negative. It's not good. 
Well, admonish, when you think about it, means to remind someone of their duties and obligations. It also means to express warning to another person in gentleness, earnestly, because you care about their well-being. You don't want to see them hurt or fall into a situation that would be detrimental. In the community that is church, we are to hold one another accountable to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and we are to hold um, our pastors accountable to the same word. And from time to time, this includes admonishment. But it's never done to marginalize someone or humiliate someone or, or, or bring shame upon someone. I know a young man in his 40s, and back when he was in high school, he and his girlfriend went to the same church. And they went to their pastor one day after school, a weekday, because they had just found out that she was with child. And they turned to their pastor because they were so afraid. They were afraid of what their parents would say, how their folks would react and the pastor spent time with them and then on Sunday morning to their surprise without forewarning he had them stand up during worship and he outed them and that was the first the parents learned of it and the two of them held hands and walked out of that church they got married they gave life to that baby and they had other children but they've not darkened the doorway of a church ever since. And I ask you, could you blame them? See, the pastor thought he was admonishing them, teaching them a lesson. He, he taught a lesson. All the young people in that congregation learned, you better not go to the pastor when you're in trouble. You better not trust the pastor when you're afraid. We all have our secret sins, every single one of us. But none of those sins are unknown to God. We're all damaged goods. Every single one of us has got some dirt. And in Christian community, when we admonish one another, we do that in love. To encourage one another. To seek that life that we're called to as forgiven sinners. Sinners like you and a sinner like me. Who's been forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus. So here at Faith, we won't apologize for holding one another accountable to godly standards, to our, our Christian discipleship. I mean, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, marked with the cross of Christ. We belong to the Lord, but we don't treat another, one another with contempt or hatred when we fall short of God's glory. We've all fallen short in one way or another. We all fall down. We all fall. And that's when we need the encouragement and the support of our, of our Christian community more than ever, especially then. And in this community, uh, we are to be people who are patient and people who pray. Some of us know that were it not for God's patience, we'd be in really deep trouble. Some of us have come to realize and appreciate the gift 
of God's grace as the Lord patiently waited for us to come to our senses and return home just like the prodigal son went home to his dad. To turn from sin, to turn from disobedience, seeking the Lord's face and his loving kindness and mercy. Some of us know that God was patient with us as we finally made that move from brokenness to wholeness, from darkness to light. And as God is patient with every single one of us, we're called to be patient with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in this congregation, because we are so diverse and from so many different backgrounds, there are people who fellowship here, who worship here, who came to Christ at, um, at an evangelical rally, at a crusade. There are people who came to Christ and they can remember the year, the month, the day, the hour, the second. And God bless those of you who remember that powerful moment when your eyes were opened and God melted your heart and you came to faith in him. For many of us, I'm one of the people in this category, I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't know Jesus because my parents made sure that as I grew up, I met Jesus. They introduced me to Jesus in worship, in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, church camp. Uh, my grandmother gave me my very first Bible you know, when I was in first grade. But whether we came to Christ in a, in a moment that we can remember or we grew up with Christ, we are called to reaffirm our faith and to accept, to acknowledge His Lordship every single day in our lives, in our witness, in our ministry. And so, there's a reason that we're to be patient with one another, because even though you can come to Christ in a moment, it takes a lifetime of discipleship and learning and encouragement and admonishment to enter into that fullness of faith that God desires for all of us. I'm not going to have him stand I'm not going to call him out. That wouldn't be polite. Anyway, his, he's from Minnesota, and you don't do that to people in Minnesota or from Minnesota. But one of my seminary professors is worshiping with us this month. He's down here in New Mexico, very wise man to get out of Minnesota this time of year. And he was one of my favorite professors. And I thank God. I thank God, you know, that at 62, I'm still learning the way I was learning in his classroom when I was 22. And should God give me another 20 years, I hope I'm still learning between now and my 82nd birthday what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And that means I need God to be patient with me because sometimes I learn things the really hard way. I'm so thick-headed. We're to be patient and we're to be prayerful. And so I'm asking you, if you don't do this already, starting now, starting today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, I'm asking you to pray for our congregation every day. Now, you might pray in the morning over coffee. You might go to a prayer closet. You might pray at night, lighting the candle. However and wherever and, and you know, whenever it is that you pray, I'm asking you to pray for the life of our congregation as we move into the future and the challenges that we face ahead. And I'm also asking you to pray for our next pastor. The call committee has been formed. And there's a pastor out there who doesn't even know it yet, who's going to be moving to Albuquerque. Going to be trying to find a new home. If he or she has children, going to be taking those 
sons, daughters out of a place they know where everything's familiar and moving them to a brand new town. Some of you remember how hard that was for you, for your children. If you moved here from another place, I'm not going to mention names because I have learned enough in 36 years of ministry not to mention my daughters by name in the sermon. So I will tell you that one of the four wilder girls, when we first came to town, and I was all excited, took that long drive up Montgomery, drove into our neighborhood, and Kirsten and I had gone on a house hunting mission, that second trip we made here, and we were so excited. And we, we pull up to our territorial home, and one of my daughters goes, way to go, Dad. <laughs> nice job, Dad. You can't even buy a house that's finished being built. doesn't even have a roof. <laughs> you know, she came from Minnesota, where everything's got a pitched roof. And I said, well, honey, there's, there isn't, it has a roof. It's flat. Oh, way to go, Dad. Like, no, no attic. You know, she forgave me. And we've been patient with one another, and we've all moved forward. But I'm asking you to pray for that pastor that will soon enough be joining our life and ministry together. Pray for that person, would you? And then we are called to rejoice and give thanks. Rejoice at all times, give thanks in all circumstances. Boy, if admonishment seems counterintuitive to love for some people, this one for some folks at first glance is all the more challenging. Rejoice all the time, really? When something horrible has just happened? In my family? Rejoice when I'm sick with flu for the second, third time this winter. Rejoice when um, someone betrays me. Rejoice when my family is a mess. Rejoice when my marriage is a mess. Rejoice when the Vikings fail to make the Super Bowl again. Rejoice when the Patriots won't be in it. Some of you are happy dancing. You know who you are. We're not told to rejoice because of such things. Nor does Scripture tell us that we are to pretend that those hardships and disappointments, those things that, that leave us feeling broken, make us happy. But to rejoice in the knowledge that God does not abandon us or turn his back or go running away when we find ourselves in the dark valleys and the times of trouble. God is God no matter what. God is Emmanuel. Remember the name given to Jesus? God with us. God is with us when life is sweet and when things are sour and relationships are strained. Giving thanks in all circumstances does not mean giving thanks for all circumstances. Right before Christmas, a woman in our congregation wanted to have some time to speak, and she told me that she was giving thanks to God for Faith Lutheran because finally, after all her years, she found a church and a fellowship of sisters in Christ where she could be real. And she described in her own faith story how in previous settings when she found herself hurting or troubled when she found her faith lacking and, and she shared that with other people, they, they called it sin. And so she learned um, to kind of put on a false face, 
to masquerade. And she told me that in this congregation, in this community, without a single pastor being involved in the ministry that she has received from her sisters in Christ, she's found a place at last where she can be fearless in sharing not only her joys, but also her sorrows. Where she doesn't have to pretend that her life is perfect and everything is going great all the time in every way. God knows we all have problems So why should we treat one another any differently? Rejoice and give thanks. We did this marvelously as a community last December on the 24th when we celebrated the incarnation, the birth of the Savior, didn't we? Some of the people who joined this church last year are still talking about their first Christmas Eve at faith. The candles, the singing, the music, the preaching. Man, oh man, didn't Pastor Jerry deliver the gospel goods on Christmas Eve. I was so blessed for the first time in 36 years to be sitting with my family and being the recipient of the word of God in a sermon. It was so wonderful. It was outstanding. And before you know it, spring will be here. We'll move into Ash Wednesday, Lent, and Holy Week, and we'll be celebrating Easter. Another reason for rejoicing and thanksgiving For at Easter, we remember that the one whose birth we celebrated at Christmas went the way of the cross for us when he was about 33 years old. We remember that he defeated sin, your sin and my sin. He conquered death, yours and mine. He shed blood, so the foulest aspect of of who we are and where we've been and what we've done can be cleansed. He rose victorious from the grave, which means... We don't have to live in fear of death anymore. Heaven is our home. It's not a cemetery. Kirsten and I have purchased a niche. That ain't my home eternally. My ashes will be placed there. But the grave is not your final destination. This community in Christ is on the move. And it's moving forward in God's history of salvation and in God's plan for his creation, the world he so loved that he gave his only begotten son. I'm blessed to be with you on the journey. I'm blessed to be with you in the shared mission. I'm blessed to be with you in this community where Jesus is Lord. We're on our way home. We're on our way home. May God find us faithful in our daily ministry between now and the day that we all see him face to face in his glory where death is finally swallowed up and every tear is wiped away. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.